Okay, so we thought we'd record uh, a bit of a quest, a Q&A segment uh, for, for this week's episode. We, we get a few questions from people that listen to the show, as well as a few questions that are, are common questions we'll hear from clients when we first start working with people to help them get a home, uh, to get finance. So we thought we'd sort of go through some of these. And if we, if we run out of time, we'll extend it out to do another one next week. So we wanted to first sort of explain to people what the concept of buying off the plan is. So I figured Dave can sort of take over from here, but what is buying off the plan? How does it work? Yeah, so the, the starting point is, let, we'll start with settlement of a property and work backwards. So when you settle on a property, that's when the, the, the bank you're getting finance from um, gives money to the seller of the property so that you can take title in the property you're buying. So, you know, normally... You, know, you might put in between 5 and 20% deposit um, or you might have no deposit because you're, you're using your know, family to help you know, guarantee your purchase. So normally what happens is if you buy an existing property, you know, you'll normally you'll see it on the internet or you might hear about it from an agent or you might organise a private sale and you will go and have a look at that property, you know, check it out, get a building and pest report. Um, the bank will do a valuation and the bank will approve your finance because the property already exists. So, you know, the land's there, the property's there, it might be an apartment, it might be a, um, a house, townhouse, whatever. So that's, that's the normal course of events. Often, especially when in property booms, there'll be the opportunity to buy things off the plan. Now, an off-the-plan property doesn't actually exist yet. So it might be a block of land with um, a design to build 10, 50, 100, 200 apartments on it, and you're buying an apartment or a townhouse or a house and land. It doesn't actually exist yet. You know, the land exists. Um, but your apartment or townhouse or house doesn't exist yet. And it may not exist for 6, 12 months, 2 years, 3 years. So what you're actually buying at the time or contracting to do is to buy something that doesn't exist yet so the bank actually can't do a valuation of that property. So whereas now the bank might say, look, um, Fred and Martha, yeah, we're happy to lend, yeah, if, if the property existed now, we'd be happy to lend you the money. Um, what matters is will a bank lend you money when the property has to settle in six to 12 months, two years, three years? So when you're looking to buy off the plan, yeah, the agent might say, you know, do you have a pre-approval? If most bank pre-approvals last three, three months, some last six months, if you're agreeing to buy a property that's not going to settle in one or two years, having a pre-approval now, yeah, it's it's handy. Yeah, it gives you comfort that based on your current circumstances, the bank will lend you money. But what what matters is whether the bank will lend you money when the property comes to settle in one or use one or two years' time. Is the idea of that so from a lender's perspective? If you just say you're the people you're purchasing the off the plan property from, 
they're estimating a value that it's going to be. But I'm assuming part of what's going on here is that a bank doesn't feel confident valuing something that doesn't actually exist yet for something like what it's, they're not confident in giving a valuation of what it's going to be worth in two years time. Yeah. Because they can't actually see it yet. Yeah, and they can't, you know, because they don't know what the market's going to be like. So we've had some clients um, in Canberra who um, bought off the plan. Um, one bought in December 2020, and it settled in December 2021, so a year later, and it went up a hundred grand in value. Happy days. That's great. Um, another client bought January 2021 and it will settle probably next month and she's made about 45 grand and that's great you know because they bought and they bought at the right part of the cycle but the issue for when you're buying off the plan is that settling the loan depends on the value of the property when you're settling not when you agree to buy it so um yeah, just, just be careful with off the plan, especially with yeah, a lot of um, a lot of people predicting that there could be a market correction because you could be agreeing to pay a 2022 price for something in 2024 that's not worth what it was in the developer's eyes in 2022. And if you um, if say you agree to pay 550 grand for a property that come in two years time is only worth 500 you're committed to buy that and you could have extra um extra costs of mortgage insurance or be asked by a bank to fund that difference so it's just yeah just be yeah so just be careful when you're buying off the plan make sure you get a conveyance up to look over the contract to make sure you're fully aware of what you're buying. Because there are, there are, you know, it's it's different to buying a property that already exists that you can see and that the bank can value and that you can touch and feel. And you know, you know how many bedrooms there are, you know how how big they are, how many bathrooms. Um, you know, we've had things in the past, it doesn't happen so often now where there might have been, you know, six apartments on a floor. And when, when it gets built, there's eight that, you know, you're, you might get told your apartment's internals are 90 square metres, but when, it, when it's built, it's 84. So you just need to be careful. So it is, it's, it's a different beast buying off the plan as opposed to buying a property that already exists. So just make sure you get a copy of the contract and you get a... Um, yeah, get someone to have a look at it, get a broker or your bank just to quickly run your numbers, just to make sure, make, make sure you've checked your credit report to make sure there's nothing on there that shouldn't be there. You know, get all your ducks in a row, but no one can give you an approval, like a formal loan approval for something that's going to happen, you know, in a year or two's time. Another one we were going to cover is sort of comparing the pros and the cons of buying a new property compared to something that's pre-existing that's that's uh 
you know, it's been around for 20 years or whatnot. I, obviously, you can already break this down into buying new versus old for an investment property and buying mm -hmm. new versus old for residential, like owner-occupier use, like yeah. you're buying something to live in. Do you want to just yeah. start with residential and we'll break it down like that way? You're taught owner-occupier? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when you buy an existing property, yeah, some of the benefits are you can, act, you, know, you can actually see what you're getting. Yeah, you know the area. Um, you can see the property. You can, yeah, you can... It's you know, like buying a car and kicking the tires. You know, you can, you can, you know, how how many bedrooms there are, the bathrooms. Um, you know, you can tweak it within the sort of boundaries of, of you know, not upsetting the structural integrity of the property. You can get a pest and build. You can see whether there's been termite activity or or mold or or dampness or that sort of stuff. With an existing property, you normally get more land because you know. Properties that were built 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, block sizes around six to 600 square metres to 1,000 square metres, um, which, you know, they're a lot bigger. And you know, as we sort of know, you know, the land is what goes up in value because it's it's the scarce asset. Um, so that's sort of, you know, one of the, the pros of, of buying something that's already there. Um, it's you know usually easier to value because you know you can see what comparable sales are. Um, you know sometimes there's more room for negotiation. You know if you if you attend an open home for an existing property and there's not too many people at that open home, you know you might have more room to negotiate because you can actually see who else is interested. Um, the sort of downsides of buying an older property, you know, sometimes because there's more land. It can be a bit more expensive. Um, you've got, yeah, probably more maintenance. Uh, yeah, there could be issues with the with the with the property. It's yeah, they're, they're the sorts of sorts of things you've got to look look out for. So just if you're looking to buy an older place to move into, um, if you're looking to buy a new place to move into, some of the other things we just talked about around the. Um, the issues of buying a new property that doesn't exist. You know, you are taking a risk that comes settlement that it will not value at what you've agreed to pay for it. Um, but, you know, if you do buy a new property, generally you get a builder's warranty. There's less maintenance because the property is new, you know, so long as it's been it's been built, property, built properly. Um, sometimes there's more government incentives, especially for first home buyers, yeah, you might be entitled to a first homeowner grant and, you know, the stamp duty exemption. Um, and, yeah, there's usually, if you're buying a new property and you're a first home buyer, if you're trying to get a spot on a um, first home loan deposit scheme, there's normally more spots available for new properties as opposed to existing. So, yeah, they, they each have their pros and cons. I always think you're better off picking where you want to live and in and in what you want to live and then seeing if it works for you financially rather than saying, oh, my budget's this, so I'll live here. Because um, there's plenty of people that have bought property in areas that they don't like and they get there and they're miserable. So, um, yeah, if you can, try and buy where you want to live um but then again you know you can always rent vest and 
you know, live in a nice suburb, you know, you might live in Richmond or Victoria, Sandy Bay and Tassie or, you know, New Farm in Brisbane, but actually invest somewhere else. You know, you might invest in Mackay or uh, Narrow Mine or Launceston or Wagga Wagga. You know, you don't have to... Plenty of people have made good money from real estate and never actually, well, haven't actually bought a house that they own and live in. So they might rent, yeah, you know, they they rent where they want to live and they invest where it's going to give them good capital growth and return. So do you want to, we'll break down the investor's side of that then, yeah? So buying new versus buying old from an yeah. investment standpoint, do you want to explain that one? Yeah, yeah. So, so probably we'll start with the buying new. Um, you know, one of the best things about buying new as an investor is the depreciation benefits. So if you buy a property um, that's new, there's, de- there's depreciation on the, um, the building that you can, can cut, that you can claim. And there's also um, depreciation on the fixtures and fittings. So, you know, usually, usually when you buy a new property, the developer will have a um, sort of a depreciation schedule that you can look at. Um, when you buy the property, it's, it's, you are normally advised to get your own depreciation schedule for the for your actual property. So, you know, number, you know, unit unit four of the development, or you know, apartment three hundred two on level three. So that that's good. Um, usually new properties will rent for more money because, you know, people will pay more money to live in new properties than existing properties. Um, with an existing property, you know, obviously there's not as much depreciation. There could be more maintenance involved, um, but you are getting more land. So if you're investing for capital growth, you'll normally get more capital growth from an existing property because it's on more land. Now, my only thing um, as sort of a bit of a warning to people is if you're buying a property from someone um, like a developer or you go to a property seminar or you're using a buyer's agent, just keep in the back of your mind what is in it for this person because we go to every property podcast and seminar and, you know, finding its update under the sun. And you'll quite often have people who will tell you about um, how you're going to eat two minute noodles in retirement, unless you buy seven rental properties. And oh, by the way, here's one that we've got that we've secured you know, exclusive access to. It's got a rental guarantee and sign here. So just be careful with that because you quite often those people are earning sizable commissions from the um, developer and that's factored into the price. And if there's a rental guarantee, that's often factored into the price as well. So just be careful when you're, you know, when you're looking at things. Um, you know, we're happy to uh, be a sounding board for people who just want to get some um, independent advice, um, at least get the contract and get it to your conveyancer to review. If you're at one of these seminars or webinars, don't be afraid to ask the question um, about how much commission the person telling you about this property is earning and where they're getting it from. 
because especially if you're paying them to secure you access to a, a, um, a property, are they then also earning money from the developer? So, you know, they could be could be um, double dipping. So, um, yeah, they're, they're the sort, sorts of main thing, main things, you know, you'll, you'll meet, we, we meet buyers agents all the time and talk to them. Some will never buy new property. Some will never buy existing properties. You know, they've all got their, their different, you know, views of the world. Some will never buy. Yeah. Some will never buy capital cities. Some will never buy regional areas. Um, yeah. Talk to, we've got quite a few. We you know, highly recommend and um, we, yeah, who, who do a good job and have your best interests in mind and will help you with a strategy uh, first to determine what you want to achieve. And then from that strategy, they will then, um, yeah, determine what sort of property might be the best for you to buy and then help you buy it. So, yeah, just just be careful. Um, don't, don't rush in, take your time. And um, if you feel you're being pressured, you probably are. The next one we had coming up to talk about was all about comparing the, the pros and cons of a, a fixed rate loan option to a variable rate. And yeah. I, I've only done this for like been in this industry with you for like two years or so, maybe maybe a year and a half at this point. Yeah. And I'm, I've started seeing that depending on the time of year and where the economy is at the time, either variable rate loans are going to be more popular or fixed rate loans are going to be more popular. And I feel like last year uh, the, the cash rate was so low and banks were offering two or three year fixed rate loans that were like low, low twos or high, high one percent. And it was madness. It was crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. That's now sort of changed where fixed rates are a bit higher comparable to last year. And it seems that variables are becoming a better option for some people at the moment, more so than they were last year. So I just wondered, can we'll talk through um, the pros and cons of fixing versus a variable rate. And this one we'll get into the weeds because obviously like the variable rate might be closer sometimes to where the cash rate is sitting compared to a fixed, Mm -hmm. depending on how the banks are planning out how much profit they want to make over the next couple of years. So yeah. If you want to go yeah, into cool. that one. So generally over the course of the last say 20 or 30 years, variable rates have been normally cheaper than fixed rates because you know there's more risk for a bank, you know, lending on a fixed rate because they're not sure, you know, what the economy is going to do or what, what's going to happen with the world or the cost of money over the coming years. Um, when the pandemic um, hit and the government through the Reserve Bank provided a funding facility, you know, for a couple of years of really, really cheap loan, cheap uh, money, the banks responded by dropping their fixed rates. And as you said, you know, some two, three and four year fixed rates were below 2%. Um, over probably since about September 2021, um, yeah, a few of the banks have been saying they expect interest rates to rise in the short to medium term. So fixed rates have gone up around about a percent in that in the last five to six months. So the question you've got to ask yourself when you're looking at variable versus fixed is, um, you know, what, what your uh, risk appetite is um, 
you know, do you do you want certainty of repayments? Yeah, if you if you lock in a five year fixed rate, your repayments will not change for five years. And for some people, that might be important. At the moment, variable rates are a lot cheaper than fixed, and you'd probably need the Reserve Bank to raise rates three times for variable rates to be where fixed rates are. So at the moment, a lot of people are taking variable rates because they're a lot cheaper, gives them better borrowing capacity. And you know, while we all expect interest rates to rise this year, and I still think around June, I don't think that will happen before the election. So I'm thinking around June, NAB are coming out saying they think rates will go up in August, September and November. So they're predicting three rises this year. Whether they go up 0.25, which is sort of the norm, or mm. you know, they might go up 0.1 just to, you know, because I think the, the issue for the Reserve Bank and you know, the government and a lot of borrowers is people are coming off really, really low fixed rates. You know, if you fix for two years in April, June, August 2020, you're coming off that very, very low fixed rate shortly. And the bank will send you a letter saying, you know, congratulations, you're now on our higher standard variable rate. The best thing that anyone can do when they get that letter is contact a broker if they're not with a broker or talk to their broker if they're with a broker who can talk to the bank on their behalf to see if that's the best the bank can do and if not, look for another option. And um, at the moment, we've talked about this before, Lots of banks have realised that the best borrowers are people that already have loans. And there's a couple of banks offering $4,000 to get your business in a refinance. So, you know, there's plenty of plenty of opportunity there. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what I'd be doing. And, um, yeah, so in regards to, you know, should I... The question around fixed and variable is not around do I think interest rates are going up. It's more about how comfortable am I with my repayment level. So, um, yeah, in hindsight, you know, we we contacted all our clients when the fixed rates dropped and just said, look, if you're, you know, there's the opportunity here to you know fix at a really really low rate if you're interested. Some took it up, some didn't, and um, you know, even if rates do go up a little bit, they're still you know, the lowest we've ever had. Even if they go up half a percent, they're still the lowest rates we've ever had. The issue for a lot of people is that they've probably paid, they've, they've, they've paid big money for their property. So, um, you know, if rates do go up, uh, it's around the importance of building a buffer into your repayments. You know, when we get people who might be up for a, a $450 a week repayment, we encourage them to just pay 500 straight away or 550 straight away. They won't miss the extra 50 to 100 a week. And, um, yeah, they'll adjust their budget accordingly. And, um, yeah, it just gets them ahead of the game. The last one is sort of going a bit deep in the weeds with types of loans. And you wanted to talk about offset loans compared to basic loans. So do you want to yeah. sort of explain how how an offset account works and how that works for a loan and, and then a basic loan, which might not offer the same, those same sorts yeah. of uh, accounts. Yeah. So these are normally with variable, variable rate loans. Um, some, some banks do offer fixed 
rates with either a full or partial offset account. But how it basically works is with an offset account, if your loan balance is 500,000 and you have 50,000 sitting in your offset account that's linked to your loan, you are only being charged interest on the 400, on 450,000. So you're only being charged interest on the loan balance less the balance in the offset account. Now, if you decide one day you want to buy a new car for 45,000, you can take that money out of the offset account, go buy the car and yeah, because it's your money. It's basically because it's a savings account attached to the home loan. Now, most banks who charge offset uh, have offset account, offset loans. The interest rate is higher than a basic loan, and they normally have an annual fee, which might be anywhere between 120 bucks to 395 dollars. So yeah, it might be a monthly fee of 10 dollars or an annual fee of 395. Um, with a basic variable loan, they're normally very cheap. Um, they don't have fees and you can make extra repayments into them and you can draw those payments out when you want them um, up to the limit of the loan. So if your loan is 500 and you've got 50,000 of advanced repayments, you can normally take them out. Um, the benefit of a basic variable loan is you, the rate is normally a lot cheaper and um, they have no fees and they normally give you a better borrowing capacity. So, you know, if you're trying to build a property portfolio, sometimes you're better off just with a basic variable loan to maximise your borrowing capacity. But, you know, just get it checked by a broker or your bank on, on how that works. Um, yeah, so they're, they're the sort of two main types of um, variable rate loans. If, you, if your loan repayment is 500 a week and that's about all you can afford, you're probably better off with a basic variable loan because there's no real benefit to you of having an offset account if there's not much money in that offset account. So that's generally, we sort of look at how much, how much in extra repayments are people going to make and then will they get the benefit from paying for the offset account and the higher interest rate? Is and, the And is the idea with an offset, so maybe just say as a hypothetical, if you only have, you know, five grand of savings currently, plus uh -huh. your wage that comes in, you can set it up where your savings and your wages get sat in the offset account each yep. time you get paid. Mm -hmm. Is the pros of having five grand in there? Is it is it not that is it is it much of a muchness unless you've got a considerable amount of savings to also put in there to offset it with your wages? Or is it do you know what I'm saying? Like is there is there yeah. certain like an, a number yeah. of savings no, where yeah, there's no there's no real number. It's it depends on how much you get paid and how much you're going to have sitting in the offset account. And mm. yeah, a broker can do the numbers for you to work out whether it's worth your while or not. But generally, if you don't have a you know, if you're not making extra repayments and you don't have much left, you know, after you get paid, you know, on top of your your normal payment, you're probably better off with a basic variable loan. Because at the moment, your basic variable loans can be about 0.5% cheaper 
than a offset loan with you know, some of the bigger banks. Some of the smaller banks have you know, very, very cheap offset loans, so it might be worth your while. But there's, and like with everything, when people say, how much can I borrow or what sort of loan shall I get? The answer is always depends. Mm. It depends on your circumstances, what you're trying to achieve and that sort of thing. So, the, you know, as we say at the start, this is just like general advice on how things work. Um, it'll change. Yes, for some people, a basic variable loan will be the, the best thing. For other people, it might be an offset account. So, yeah. And was there anything else you wanted to cover on these ones or we'll get out of there on that? Yeah, look, I just think, look, if you've got any questions, you know, we'll be, we'll be sort of covering, you know, maybe once a month we might just do a, a thing of what sort of common questions we're getting and, and that sort of thing. We're getting a lot of questions at the moment about, you know, people investing in property. You know, obviously a lot of people are looking at investing, um, especially, you know, you, you turn the news on and you know, up until last night anyway, you know, the stock market, the share market was sort of correcting a little bit. Um, and you know, there's all there's lots of talk about population increases, lack of supply of property, how long it takes to bring property to market uh, in Australia because of the you know planning and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are interested in in you know getting into property. And so yeah, if you've got questions, send them through. Otherwise, we'll just sort of cover we'll cover those plus the sort of ones we're getting from our clients. Easy. All right, we'll get out of there on that. Mm-hmm.